Good morning. Have a seat. Let me say a prayer for us. Dear Father, thank you so much for this incredible day. We are thankful that you are a God we can count on. We're thankful for the courage and strength that you give us to do this life one day at a time. I pray that this morning you would fill our hearts with your spirit, that you would encourage us and strengthen us in your word, and we would be reminded one more time of who Christ is and what it means to follow him. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Randy Pausch was a computer science professor at Carnegie Mellon, he was real familiar with this idea that um, is in the collegiate world about a last lecture. Many professors are asked to consider the end of their life and to talk to others as if it was their last lecture. What really matters the most? They think about and answer the question, what wisdom would you impart to the world if you knew it was your last chance? And so when he was asked to give a last lecture, it was an assignment he took very seriously because he'd recently been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and didn't have a very good prognosis and much time left to live. So when he got up, he used it as a moment. You can actually watch it. It's on YouTube. There's a book that is, um, it's very, very interesting. But he talked about um, living. He talked about joy and honesty and integrity and gratitude and how to enable the dreams of others and seize every moment. Um, he challenged people to give yourself permission to dream and look for the best in others. And he said, too many people go through life complaining about their problems. I've always believed that if you took one-tenth of the energy you put into complaining and applied it to solving the problem, you'd be surprised by how well things can work out. He said, we can't change the cards we're dealt, just how to play the hand. He said, time is all you have, and you may find one day that you have less than you think. He also used this as a way to create a last letter for his kids, the kids he knew were going to grow up without him, and a way for them to really know his heart and who he was. But there's one, when I read this book, there's one idea that has stuck with me again and again and again. He said, life is about overcoming obstacles. Life is filled with brick walls. Listen, he said, the brick walls are there to stop the people who don't want it badly enough. They're there to stop the other people. Brick walls are there for a reason. They give us a chance to show how badly we want something. And here's what's remarkable about this. So many times in life, we hit brick walls, don't we? Like we're cruising along and things some okay, and then there's a dead end or an obstacle or a problem we just never could have predicted. Things happen where like, I don't have any tools in my toolkit to deal with this, don't know how to take care of it, situations we never see ourselves in. And many times right there is where so often we quit. It feels too hard and we don't know what to do. And we feel like maybe if I just hide it'll go away. Like I know we had that mentality when we were little, but sometimes we get older and it feels like maybe if I just pretend it doesn't exist, it'll go away on its own. But every once in a while we get creative. We try something new. And in that moment where we try something we normally wouldn't try, everything changes, especially in us. And I find it interesting because in the Gospel of Mark, we come across a group of friends who hit this exact place. They hit an obstacle, but rather than quitting like so many other people would, they get this creative spirit where they're willing to try something, even though it's harder and might seem risky. So in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is back in Capernaum, and news about him has been spreading. People hear about this guy and what he's doing and the incredible things he can do, and 
people are finding help and a man with leprosy has been healed and people are coming to check him out like is this really true right these rumors going around can he really do these things who is this guy that everybody's talking about and when people find out that he's in this home preaching crowds of people start showing up because they want to check him out they want to hear him they want to see who he is so as you might expect the house starts to fill up everybody's squeezing in trying to like see who jesus is and if this rumor is true and people just if you've ever been in a crowded space before like every space starts to get absorbed with people and then COVID happened and nobody touched <laughs> and then it starts squeezing in again and this crowd is just spilling out of the house around the house there's people everywhere inside outside all around now i don't know about you but sometimes i see a crowd like that and i'm like i do not have you ever i don't feel like fighting the crowd right now have you ever had that like i don't feel like dealing with traffic because you know what everybody's gonna leave at the same time i don't feel like being bumped into by all the different people that are around and i don't feel like being that close to anybody like don't even want to wrestle with it but Mark tells us there's a group of people who've come to get to Jesus. And when they see that crowd, they don't have the I'm out of here mentality. They have, okay, this is an obstacle. Let's get creative. What can we do? They'd heard these same stories about Jesus. They'd heard all the possibilities of what he could do and impossible things being done. And in their group, they had a friend that they just wanted to get to Jesus. He was paralyzed and he couldn't walk he couldn't do the things that they could do and they thought maybe if we could just get him close enough to jesus something might happen so when they see the crowds the crowds which would have been an obstacle to so many of us they're like no no we can figure this out they're just an obstacle to move around they looked at the crowd they looked at the house they looked around the house and they looked and like you know what there's one spot where there's no crowd on the roof and so they get this idea, we're going to climb up on the roof, we're going to cut, imagine if this was your house for a second, like, no, that is not an option. I have to fix that roof, right? Somebody owns this house. But these friends are like, oh no, we have the best idea ever. We're going to climb up here, we're going to cut a hole in the roof, and instead of trying to push through the crowd, we're just going to drop our friend right in front of Jesus. Like, I've heard some creative ways to get to Jesus before. This might be the most creative one. So these guys get creative, they climb up there, they lower their friend in through the hole, and they just kind of drop him in front of Jesus and wait to see what happens. Like, I, I've had plans before, I'm like, we just got to get here. I don't know what's actually going to happen when we get there, but we, have you been there before? And that was their plan, get to Jesus and then let's see what happens. So they get there, they try this risky thing, and Jesus looks down on their friend. He sees him laying on the ground. He sees these people peering over this hole in the roof, checking out what's going to happen. And he responds in a way that none of us would expect. But there's, it's so interesting. What does he say? He sees their faith. Mark says he sees their faith. And he says to this guy laying in front of him, son, your sins are forgiven. But remember, there's a crowd of people. Have you ever stood in line for a really long time and then somebody tries to cut in line? It's like, 
I'm offended that you would even try. Like, I've been here for hours. Who do you think you are? Cedar Point don't play, right? Like, you don't cut lines. It is, it is bad news bearers. All right, this other group see what's happening. They see Jesus. They see these people. They see this guy. They hear Jesus say, son, your sins are forgiven. And they're not amazed. They're like, who, who do they think they are? Who does Jesus think he is? They have this critical attitude, this skeptical spirit. They're annoyed by the situation. We'll see who Jesus really is. And when they hear Jesus say that this guy's sins are forgiven, they start thinking, like, who does he think he is? It's blasphemy. Only God, only God can forgive sins. So for Jesus to say this, he must be saying he is God to be able to do this thing. But nobody can say you're God. It's blasphemy. This is a terrible thing. I love one commentary says this. The religious leaders immediately realize that Jesus' statement presupposes an enormous claim about himself. That claim, if untrue, was blasphemy. Blasphemy was to take upon yourself the rights of other gods of uh, God. In other words, they saw Jesus' action as tantamount to being a claim to deity. The religious leaders then are confounded because although they expected the Messiah to be a figure of great power and might, they had no concept as a human being having divine authority to forgive. This was beyond any conception of what a Messiah that they had ever had. It wasn't what they expected. They expected God to come and do some awesome things and a Messiah to change the world and raise them up, but they hadn't been waiting for somebody like Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus saw the faith of this group. He knew their hearts, and he was able to forgive this guy. He knew the hearts of this critical group. He knew what was going on in their hearts, and he uses this moment to say something important. Look at Mark chapter 2, verse 9. He says, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And this paralyzed man, he got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all, it amazed everyone. They praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay, I'm sure these guys are still up on the roof going, all right, like, what is happening? It was better than they could have expected. They didn't know what could happen, but just getting to Jesus might change everything. Now, imagine their surprise, like, when they lowered their friend down, and Jesus says, your friends are forgiven, but they're like, yeah, but Jesus, he can't walk. <laughs> like, we brought him to you for a reason, right? Like, maybe you could heal him, and then we could talk about the other stuff first, and maybe you could help him walk again. But Jesus says, no, first, your sins are forgiven. Now, I find this interesting, because, you know, we're terrible at knowing what our greatest need is, right? These friends thought they knew their friend's biggest need. If he could just walk again, things would change. Life would be different. He'd have different opportunity. But Jesus knew it was the condition of his heart that mattered the most. And it's interesting because so many commentators, like when you see Jesus forgiving sins, usually what do you see first? You see repentance. Jesus, have mercy on me, right? Jesus, can you help me? You see somebody asking. Jesus saw the faith of this group, and he said, your sins are forgiven. See, getting to Jesus, that was the goal. Get him to Jesus. Get him to Jesus. What could happen when he gets to Jesus? But then Jesus does more than they even knew how to think or imagine what he actually needed. 
their creativity, to not be put off by all the obstacles in front of them, got their friends to Jesus. And he responds to their faith, their recognition of Jesus can make something different with forgiveness. But then he doesn't just leave it at that. He heals his body as well. You don't hear from this group the declaration of faith or the asking for help or the begging for mercy or, hey, Jesus, we heard you're so awesome. Could you just do this? But Jesus still knows their hearts and is moved to help. He fixes the condition of his heart as well as the condition of his body. See, so many times I think when I'm talking to Jesus, if Jesus could just fix this for me, everything would be better. Have you been there before? Like, I think I know what the biggest problem is. I think I know what the biggest struggle is because it feels harder than anything else. And I think if Jesus could just change this, if Jesus could just fix this, if Jesus could do something here, and I forget, Jesus doesn't just know my heart. <laughs> he knows the hearts around me as well, right? He knows the people that I'm doing life with as well. And he knows better than I do the ultimate work that he's going to do not just in my life, but in the life of others as well. He knows who he created us to be. He knows what we need better than we do. He knows not only what's going to bring us joy and satisfaction, but healing and hope. And here's the thing I know to be true about Jesus Christ. He is always going to amaze us. Sometimes when I have nothing else to say, in my head I'm saying, uh, great is your faithfulness, O oh God, right? Like when everything else feels overwhelming, when everything else feels like an obstacle, all I know how to do is think about the faithfulness of God. God has been faithful for generations. Why would he stop now? God has been faithful for thousands and thousands of years. Why would he be any less faithful today? And he's always going to do more. It might not be what we think. It might not be the way that we think. Because turns out, I'm not God. <laughs> turns out God has better ideas and can come up with better possibilities for my life, for our church, for our families, than even we can. And I know it's such a small line, but it's easy to miss. When Jesus says to this guy, son, your sins are forgiven. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ is no small thing. If you've ever had to forgive somebody something before, it always costs something, right? Sometimes it's a material cost, like, okay, you hurt my car, don't worry about it, I'll cover the cost. All right, you ruined my shirt that you borrowed, I'm a little bit grouchy about it, but I'll let it go, right? Sometimes it's the material things, those are easy to qualify. It's harder when it's the emotional cost, right? It's harder when it's the hurt cost, but it always costs something to forgive, the cost of a hurt heart, the cost of proving that you're right, it costs you something to forgive at somebody else. And it costs Christ something to forgive us. It costs Christ something to go to the cross and give up his life for us. But he did it lovingly and willingly and graciously and wholeheartedly. He did it for us. So that the greatest debt, the greatest cost, the greatest work that ever needed to be done, Christ took it on himself. In the same way he looked at that group and saw their faith. The same way he looked at that young man who was laying on a, a paralyzed on the ground 
and he says your sins are forgiven, he offers us the same love and forgiveness today. The same access to a changed life and a new hope and a better future with him. This is who Christ is. It was unexpected. People weren't expecting Christ to be like this. But you know what? People aren't expecting Christ to be like that today. People are still expecting Christ to be different because that's what they've heard or that's what they've been told. And again and again and again, if we know anything about Christ, we are surprised by his grace. We're surprised by his goodness. We're surprised by his gentleness. He is the Christ who calls us onto a new path and says, you know what, let's try a different plan. That one wasn't working. He's the one who calls us out onto the adventure and says, have a little faith. Let's try something new. He's the one who shows us love and offers us hope and forgiveness. And when we have faith in Christ, when we know him this way, what couldn't he do? What couldn't he surprise us with right now? That's the faithfulness of God. He isn't done surprising us. He isn't done encouraging us and challenging us and inviting us in to trying a whole new plan, a whole new way, because there's still incredible work that he wants to get done. But see, as much as this group of friends was surprised by Jesus, remember there was that other group there with that real critical heart, right? Some people are creative, some people are critical, right? Some people see a problem, they're like, oh, let's do something that's never been done before. Some people see a problem and they're just like, I'm going to criticize it and just complain about it until I have nothing else to say and then I'm going to move on, right? There's creative and there's critical. And there was a group that was critical. They came there to be skeptical and criticize and pass judgment and they're annoyed by what's going on and they don't want Jesus to do this and they don't have time for this and their things are so much more important than the things of Jesus. And yet, at the end, what did it say? Everybody was amazed. Everybody was amazed by what Christ had done that day. We've never seen anything like this. What Jesus did amazed everyone. And here's what I find so powerful about that. Even when our hearts are critical, Christ can still amaze us. Even when I've lost myself in complaining, because let's be honest, we're all good at complaining, right? Like, you don't even have to give me a list of things. I'll just make up a list of things. Even there, Christ can amaze us. He can do just as much work in a critical heart as he can in a creative heart. He can affect as much change in a broken heart as in a hopeful heart. What do we know about Christ? He is available to those who are convicted and those who are confused. When we're resentful, when we're grouchy, when we're bitter, when we're run down, when we're stressed or overwhelmed, even when we've hit an obstacle and we feel defeated and ready to give up, Christ can do just as much work there as he can in any other place. He's there for us when we need another chance. He's there for us when we're ready to begin again. I love this moment in Mark. I've come back to it again and again and again because even before anybody in that room acknowledged their need for Christ, he acknowledged them and helped. He taught those who were critical. He surprised everybody there. He helped there those who were creative enough to try and get him. He does the same for us. Before we even knew that we needed Christ, before we even knew Christ existed, he already was working for us, toward us. The posture of Christ is toward humanity. He knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows what we need better than we do ourselves. 
And so when I read about something like this happening in the life of Christ, I have to take it then and use it to evaluate my own life. So in this, we see these different groups of people. We see how Christ responds to people, how Christ helps people, how Christ surprises us and moves towards people. Those are the big picture ideas that we see. But what does that mean for me in my personal life? It starts with each of us asking the question, what brick walls am I facing right now, right? What obstacle have I come up against that just seems insurmountable? What question am I trying to answer and I just can't make anything fit, right? I'm asking the question, but none of the things that I'm trying to answer with it fit. What problems feel overwhelming to you right now? Maybe the answer is just get to Jesus. If I could just get to Jesus here, what might he do? Maybe the answer is, Christ, show me a way to be creative here. How have I thought about this in the wrong way, and what's a new way of thinking about it? Or maybe, sometimes life brings us to hard moments, not so much to defeat us or ruin us or defeat something in us, but to help us see the hope of Christ in a whole new way that we wouldn't have any other way. Maybe right where we are, we don't have to do 500 things. We just got to rest in faith and in Christ. We got to believe in who Christ is and what he can do. Maybe this might be the exact place where Christ wants to meet us because he knows what we need better than we even know how to ask. He knows our heart. And sometimes you ever been praying and it's like, I can't even give voice to the things that are in there because the stress of it is robbing me of breath. Christ knows us there and wants to meet us and help us. I heard a man named Ryan Leak uh, speak a few weeks ago. We did the leadership summit. And listen to what he said. It's so powerful when we think about life. He said, failure is the tuition you pay for success. He says, if you want to be successful, the admission price is a little bit of failure. Now, I hear things like that, and it sounds great, right? Like, you put that on a poster, that looks good, doesn't it? But when you're standing in what feels like failure, it does not feel as good, doesn't it? When you're standing in the midst of what's hard and suffocating and exhausting, it doesn't feel like, oh, this is the path to success. It feels like I used to be on the path. I'm on a different path. I have no idea where this path is going, but it's not working. Listen to what he says. How do you know you're going to fail unless you try? And he told these stories about um, uh, he tried this whole, like, how to train with an NBA team, and he just started sending out emails to different NBA uh, teams and saying, hey, I'm doing this documentary about what it would look like, and he's like, I got no's, I got no's, but then he's like, you know what? This NBA team emailed me back, <laughs> and then he got a call from a team, and he went and trained with them, and he told hilarious stories because, I'm sorry, I could not show up and pretend to train with professional basketball players. It would end poorly. I think he held his own for most of it, but he said, chasing failure took me further than chasing success ever did. He said, equally great risk in trying something new, you have an equally great risk than doing nothing at all. Trying something new and doing nothing at all both hold risk. It's just that when we're not doing anything, we feel more comfortable, right? Because it's not asking anything of us that's different or hard. But trying something new is just as risky as staying where we are. 
He said, keep it moving. One day you'll wake up and realize you're a lot further than you used to be. You'll never know if you are an exception to the rule unless you try something exceptional. And I thought, man, it's so true. It's so true. There are roadblocks and obstacles and brick walls and failure along the path. Everybody has it. It never feels good, but the only way out is through. The only way forward is through. If you stop and set up your tent here, you never see what's going to happen next. If you just settle on the path because it's too hard, then you never get to see what God might have done next if you just kept saying yes. But what are we willing to try? That's really the hard part, right? What am I willing to risk? Maybe it's time for a new plan. Maybe it's time for a bit of creativity. Maybe right before we quit, right before we throw in the towel and say, I tried, I'm done, I'm exhausted. What might God do right here in this spot? Because yes, sometimes the walls and the obstacles and the difficulties, they feel like failure. They do. But maybe I need to fail in one area so I can see myself better in another. Maybe I need to let go of the idea of what it feels like to be a failure so I can free myself to feel what it looks like to follow Christ in a different direction. No matter how hard the problem or how high the wall or the circumstance, the difficulty, maybe it's not out there that needs to change. Maybe it's me. Maybe where Christ most wants to reach me is right here in this spot. Because look, we all mess up, don't we? <laughs> None of us are perfect. I like the idea. It sounds amazing, but there's no lived experience that ever happens that way. Everybody struggles. Everybody hurts. Everybody has problems. Everybody's trying to figure out this crazy world that we live in and this weird life that we're experiencing, but it's not the errors and the mistakes that define us. It's what we do next. It's not, okay, how hard is this problem? It's, will I keep going when I face the problem? Will I have the faith to start again? Will I have the hope that God isn't done yet and I can keep going forward with him? Because remember, when Christ calls us to follow him, what's he doing? He's calling us on a journey, a process, right? We learned about the disciples. I don't know how much you heard in that wind and that storm at Edgewater, but he calls disciples to follow him. And where those guys started and where they ended up was two radically different places. And where they started, they couldn't have known what Christ was going to do next. They couldn't have known that the path was leading to the cross and what would happen in their lives and the future of the church and the thousands of the people that would be changed by Christ. They couldn't have known that, but they said yes to the process because Christ was in it. And he was calling them to become something they weren't yet. And it required new skills of faith and courage and hope. And today we're reminded it requires a new plan. Sometimes the old plan isn't working anymore. It doesn't mean it was a bad plan. It just means it only got us to here. And now from here forward, what's the next plan going to look like? Because life is a process. And we grow and we learn. And as we follow Christ and know him more, we step more and more into who he's calling us to be. You know, the yes is just the first step, right? It's not the done. The saying yes and getting baptized, that's the beginning of the adventure. And then it's what's going to happen next. 
What's the rest of our life going to look like as Christ grows more and more in our life? We don't have the historical view of time. It's easy to look back 2,000 years and talk about someone else's life, right? I can see how it began. I can see how it ended. I can see the messy middle. But in my life, I am in the messy middle. <laughs> I can't predict how it will end. I can't see always what's on the horizon. But I trust in the Christ who can. And he's greater than anything we face. And here's what we know. There's so many unknowns. There's so many things that we can't predict. But what we can hold fast and true to is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. If he has been good to me so far, why would he stop now? The obstacles don't mean Christ stopped loving me. The walls don't mean that God has given up on me. It just means we are in the process, and he's shaping us more and more into the men and women he's called us to be. We know a life spent following Jesus Christ is never wasted. It won't always be easy, but it will always be worth it. A life spent following Jesus Christ, there is no more better adventure that we could sign up to be on. Christ will not disappoint us. He's going to grow our souls. Yes, he's going to challenge us. Yes, he's going to comfort us. Yes, he's going to invite us to take one more step again and again and again and again with him. But here's the promise. When we go forward with Jesus Christ, we will always be amazed. We will always be amazed at what Christ can do next. We can agree with the group who was there that day and saw Christ do something incredible. We've never seen anything like this. I know if I stop here, I don't get to say those things. But I know with all my heart, when we go forward with Jesus Christ, Christ will surprise us again and again. Christ has a way of doing something new, giving us a new plan and a new map to follow with hope and faith and courage with him. So what if, as we study Christ and the Gospels together, we just keep saying yes to going forward with Jesus Christ? We just keep saying yes to an open heart. I'm not shutting any doors because I don't know what God's going to do next, right? I'm not saying any no's because I don't know where God might show up and what he might do next. Sometimes it's just a small shift. It's not even a huge life-altering change. It's just a small shift. And maybe it's just from critical to creative. Who knows, right? It might be a small shift in my heart where the biggest work God wants to do might what could that new plan look like of where Christ calls you forward and we get to be amazed and say, man, I've never seen God do anything like this. Isn't he great? Dear Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray that where we are standing right now, you would encourage us and strengthen us. I pray, Father, where the difficulties of life have felt overwhelming us, you would give us a sense of peace and hope in you. I pray, Father, where our toolkit feels empty, you would give us a heart full of courage and strength to learn and try new things. I pray, Father, we would find ways to get to creative, that we might just find you, that we might see you and follow you, and that you might do something incredible, and we might be just as amazed as people were 2,000 years ago. I pray, Father, that you would encourage us, strengthen our hearts, renew our minds, give us a hope to keep going forward one more step with you today. I pray this all in